welcome back to the Teas and Seas of Life podcast with Tanya and Claire. Hi! Hello, hello! hello. <laughs> we are recording this pretty much almost <laughs> all, like to the nail, like yeah. we're just before <laughs> bedtime, the night before, yes. so um, we've just done the most amazing interview, mm. if we do say so, yep. with a very, very, very special person, and... Um, should we just let the podcast speak for itself? And let I think so. It, yeah. I think we have to. I don't mean anything. I, we I have no I news. No, you can't talk. talk. I'm no, very I'm sweaty done. and <laughs> the, the heater's on and my dressing gown. I'm very warm, <laughs> getting quite flushed. I feel quite emotional. So take it away, Jess. Yeah. Well, we have got somebody totally like, I feel like I'm speaking to a famous person tonight <laughs> because I've just read her book. So I'm getting a little bit of an insight on how people might feel when they read my book. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, there's Claire. Oh, fucking hell. Anyway, oh we have got Jess Harrington um, on the podcast tonight, which is really, really exciting. So Jess is the author of um, The Girl in the Pink Shoes. Did I say that right, Jess? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah. I should have double checked that actually before we started recording. That <laughs> would have been helpful. I, um, I bought this. So how did I come across you? Was it- I think it was on social media. I'd come across you at the weekend. And uh, I don't know, there was just something about this story that you told, that a little blip at the beginning of the of the social media post that I read. Mm. And I was like, ooh, I'm intrigued by this. And if I really like this book, this girl will be amazing on the podcast. Because I think the story that you've got to tell is phenomenal. So do you want to do a little introduction on your book, Jess? Um, I'm obviously Jessica Harrington, the girl in the pink shoes. Um, my book um, covers multiple subjects of child abuse, um, drugs, alcoholism, being bullied, um, foster care, um, and being in a paedophile ring. Um, my book follows a graphic account of how a child can be groomed, and it um, follows from the story of my life and how I got into this into these situations and how I got out of the situations fucking hell I mean that it's just <laughs> when, it's harrowing to I've read to. I've read the book and even then as you say it I'm like fucking hell I know like, I know it's it's it, it takes your breath away yeah how old are you Jess I'm 24 fuck fuck really? do you know what that that was one of my main things that I sort of said to Claire yesterday in my head I sort of had a picture that you were you would be fairly young. But at the same time, I think the way that you talk about kind of police involvement, social services involvement, it feels really 70s. Yeah, it feels like it should have been a long time ago, like not no, fairly recently. Because yeah. Tanya and I both work in mental health and early, early intervention with young people. So we see kind of firsthand... And we're, we're around when young people make kind of disclosures yeah. and there's certain questions that we ask young people that to enable them to be able to have that voice, to be able to, to have that safeguarding in place. And to think that there wasn't once that you had that opportunity to to share that story. I mean, I, and not, it's more the fact that when you when you have and obviously it's. The difficulty here for me is going to be not like giving everything away because people really do need to read this book because I'm yeah. not just saying that it's it's bloody brilliant and it's it's terrifying in its brilliance because it's real it's not 
just someone's made up mind it's like real shit Mm -hmm. but it's the fact that you did have conversations with people that and it wasn't taken seriously which then seemed to shape how you had had to handle future occurrences I think what got me was I think it's chapter three um so I'm just trying to actually think of the book right now (laughs) um when I um, got kicked out naked and I mm-hmm. told the police officer mm-hmm. um, she had bruises and scratches and I had I looked a mess um, and it, the fact that he told me to go home the next day I know pretty much told me the rest of my life that the police wasn't going to do anything and yeah. yeah I think being in that situation is really hard because you grow up thinking oh the, well the police is not going to do anything why why should I go and tell them again yeah and then get punished for it so you yeah. keep your mouth shut and then you end up living with that. Have you ever asked that question to the police? Um, no, I've, I've never really... I kind of, like, um, kind of just kind of explained about it. Um, mm-hmm. But it was never really... It was kind of shut down quite quick. It wasn't really, you know, they've got, you know, they're short of resources and stuff like that. And... when you're a young child you sort of don't really you can't really you don't have the confidence to speak up sort of thing and the things obviously I could say now I I couldn't even sort of walk into a petrol garage like three years ago so to actually find my voice now compared to how I was back then I wouldn't have had the guts to talk to them well Oh God! Right, we're going to do this quite a lot. I've got a question. You've got a question. I've got a question. You've got no, no, no! I want to ask a question. Right, you go. No, I was going to say, what gave you the? the, I don't know if courage is even the right word, but what what made you do this now? Because obviously, this is this. There's so much in there, and like you said, it's like three years ago that you were still, and you still are traumatized now. But what has made you feel that you can tell your story or that you want to tell your story and that you can do it um it's a little funny story actually weirdly um I sort of well the start of it sort of obviously I had my child and I could look at it look at him every day and it was sort of like how could I couldn't understand myself how someone could hurt something so precious and vulnerable yeah Um, obviously I look at my boy and if anyone hurt him like god forbid like you know, you, you you do. You look at your kids, and you just, you know, you you be angry. Do you know what I mean? You'd be yeah. over angry. So, yeah. um, but we sort of uh, after um, my son was born, I had um, a little breakdown. Um, I, I wasn't coping very well. Um, mm-hmm. So me and my partner sort of decided to take a holiday, um, and we basically booked a holiday, and then um, Thomas Cook went bust. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously we was running around the um, airport and um, to find another holiday and we like finally found one and then we were at Heathrow I think it was and um, my partner was sort of I said to my partner obviously that you know we won't come back from Heathrow we'll come back from Stansted uh-huh. so then he lost the plot and he was <laughs> shouting I'm not going I'm not going uh-huh. and then um, we got finally got to the hotel and then um, we got told that two o'clock in the morning we couldn't get into our hotel at two o'clock oh, in the god. afternoon oh my god so we were chatting away and my partner said like you really could actually write a book like what you've been through mm-hmm. 
and then suddenly I just kind of came home and I was determined to sort of do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all, and then, you know, everything does happen. Mm. And, you know, you had that series of events that prevented you from being able to go on this amazing holiday. And this has given you this opportunity and it's let you find your voice. I mean, that's, I mean, did it take, how long did it take to write the book, Jess? Um, it took me just just under, just over a year. Okay. Um, I, th- I think, to be honest, writing the book was just a horrible mm-hmm. um, experience. Mm. Um, there was days that I'd cry and cry and cry, and there was days that I was screaming and punching my partner in this, obviously by accident, in my sleep. Yeah. Um, I was screaming, please, please don't hurt me. Um, mm. And then one one night I nearly launched the computer. I was so angry and mm-hmm. upset. Um, but what got me through writing the book was my son and mm-hmm. knowing that actually things go go still go on like that and... I, I want my son to be brought up knowing that things shouldn't be like that and mm-hmm. the only way to do that is keep like pushing and pushing and try and get the awareness out and hopefully mm-hmm. something because the problem is people not getting help till 10 20 years after well mm-hmm. so if we can actually help children and make them realize that actually if daddy and mummy or grandparents or anyone is actually doing something that that's not right we mm-hmm. might actually be able to help them before, yeah. or like drawing it rather than actually picking up the pieces afterwards. Yeah, I think yeah. one of the biggest things that stood out to me when I was reading your book was that you, because Sean, so he he's he's your stepfather. That's yeah. not his real name. That's the name in your book for yeah. legal reasons. Um, he tells you that that's how all daddies treat their little girls. And because you hadn't had what, I hate this word, a, like a normal upbringing, like you you had quite a traumatic childhood anyway. It was quite up and down. And, you know, it didn't follow that that normal path that, you know, that 2.4 yeah, children's story. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. So for you, it, it was a really long time before you realised that, you know, because even your friends said, yeah, my dad gives us a kiss and he gives us a cuddle. and But you didn't necessarily think that what else he was doing was wrong because, well, everybody else said that mum and dad were giving us Mm. kisses and cuddles. So although it doesn't feel right, maybe there's something wrong with me. I mean, I fucking fucked up. I think it was my mum. I think what really Mm. turned the corner for me is the fact that she kept saying, don't be silly, you know, you have weird dreams, you do. And she was making me like I was going insane. But then, yeah. like the next day, it's kind of like, well, the carnage is actually still here. Yeah. So, what, and then I, my head was just going and going because I, I almost was going insane. Um, mm. So I didn't really know what was going on. To be honest, I did, yeah. but I didn't. So, yeah. how many years do you think, or do you think that's like a guess? Like, how many years did it, did this encapsule of your life? Um, seven years. Seven years. And so that started, it started when you were how old, Jess? Nine. Um, and it nine. ended when I was 17. My yeah. God, that's Freya's age. Freya's nine. Yeah. It's so, it's, it's really, like, I honestly, I give you so much credit, Jess, for writing the book, for talking about it so openly, mm-hmm. because it's, it's not, I'm, it's not easy and it's not like you said I can imagine how writing that down and the bits that like you said would have come back to you because 
like we're I think we're all aware of kind of repressed memories as well that you kind of you bury and then suddenly they come back out and you're Mm -hmm. writing this book and you're putting that out there for people because it's to read it and to hear you talk it's it just feels unreal it really does it's like and I don't so obviously I know in the book that there was the is it Kathy yeah um yeah have you had any other support like since then for the trauma Kathy's literally been my my angel she's literally been since I've met her she's still with me today and she still supports me and she's still helping me through my journey and she's helping with the book as well that's amazing that is that is really amazing that is amazing and what was it about what Kathy did that brought that out in you um so Kathy's a drama therapist and she sort of uses um things um like uh uh fabrics to sort of um help with children's therapy mm-hmm. when you um, understand obviously why they're unhappy and sad and I think for Kathy for me it wasn't anything about how she did the work weirdly it was how she questioned things um mm-hmm. like if I told her something she would accept that I was using a third person and yeah. that gave me the reason to be able to talk to her and okay. it'd be as simple as if you don't want to talk you don't have to talk so yeah. to me that was sort of like oh so she's not trying to be really nosy and run off and tell the social she's actually trying to be there for me mm-hmm. and I think sometimes you just need someone to be honest and there for you rather than sort of I need you to tell me now sort of thing yeah, um, but that's Sorry, Joe, I was going to say that is massive as well. And thinking yeah. of the work that we do, and obviously, so we've got quite a structured programme, and it's a brilliant programme, I love our job. But um, it is that, I think, that having someone to talk to, mm-hmm. that's not, it doesn't sound like she's going in there every week trying to give you remedies of trying to fix you. Mm-hmm. It was just giving you that space to help yourself and to get mm-hmm. that off your chest. That I think that is really an amazing thing to do it's not about recording it and putting it somewhere I'm sure she was like recording it and doing her job like Mm -hmm. thoroughly but it was more about giving you that space to try and come to terms with Mm -hmm. things but with no pressure I remember reading actually that your interpretation of that or your memory of that time with Kathy in that room that you actually felt like you could be yourself you felt safe that you felt that you could be honest but I think with Kathy I kind of felt like I had a friend um sounds sad but obviously I didn't have friends then so Kathy sort of was a person who I could zone out of my life for five minutes and actually be a kid um Mm -hmm. you know she made me feel like I could tell her things and you know she made me feel safe as well and I think that was quite important um Mm -hmm. because obviously the whole book I didn't really feel safe um so yeah so when you started writing the book Jess did you intend on it being two parts yeah um I I knew it was going to be two parts because I wanted the book to be a start where it explains my story Uh um and the second part to be how I actually recovered from what I went through Uh um and uh yeah so my part my um my publisher um wanted it to be one book um so we rushed to write the the whole book as a complete Mm -hmm. um but then we realized that actually it had to be two Mm, books um so then obviously I've got half of 
book two already done and obviously I had book one as well so it kind of went in my favour because half half of book two is written so Mm -hmm. that that kind of really helps me now. Well I didn't realise it was going to be a two book um, story when I started reading it and even up to the last page and I because I wasn't holding a physical book I could see that I was like 99% done in the book but I was like yeah but there, there's she's got so much to tell on the last fucking page where's the impression and I got and that moment when you just when you were in your dress or it was at the prom and you seen Sean and I was like oh my god what is gonna happen it's like like you said, like you read fiction, I don't read fiction. So for mm. me, that was that was so real, mm. and it was happening right now. That where's the rest of the story? So how much can we ask you about book two? Like, can we ask you <laughs> yeah. about your relationship with mum? Um, yeah. I don't want yeah. you to give too much away on your book, but I also I I, I want my answers, my questions answered. <laughs> if you ask me some questions, well. Say what you can and can't. Already, yeah. um, already given a little hint in the last video. I don't know if you've seen the video I put on Facebook. Oh no, um, I've not been on Facebook. I actually put a big hint of how he um, he uh, got caught in the end. Oh, oh. So I oh. said it and then realised I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> really? Well, it's still with the. Do you know what I think the thing is with your story? Regardless of if, like, no matter how much you know. Or how much, like, even for people listening today that might hear bits and pieces and then go, right, we're talking about it, you can't take away from reading the book. Oh, no. Because it's, there's, you, it's, it's, it's so much bigger than what we can mm-hmm. talk about now. And I feel like that's going to be the same with book two because I've got so many questions. Yeah. Like, it is, I, no, what happened to Sean? Where's Jacob? What happened to your mum? What about <laughs> your sister? That it's not like my brain is going... Yeah. Please get book two out like yeah. next week. <laughs> I need to know. Um, do you know what I was actually the one thing I've written down while you were chatting a wee minute ago was when you were when you first published the book. Um, did you get much backlash from your family, those that you are in contact with and close with? Um. Well, um, my brothers have been very very supportive. Okay. Um, uh, the rest of my family, not so much. Okay. Um, um, my auntie, um, I, well, I contacted my auntie, um, at, and well, no, sorry, she contacted me um, mm-hmm. for a pro- another reason, but I'm not going to go into that. Um, and I had found out that she knew that he um, touched my leg at her house when we were visiting. <sighs> And she told my mum, and my mum said it was nothing to worry about. Oh, God. Um, so, obviously, just before I published my book, obviously, she um, she didn't want my book going out, and she said um, it would be probably better if no one actually, it, if it didn't go out. Um, so, obviously, I was I had a little panic attack, and I had a little breakdown over that. Yeah. Because um, uh, it was quite hard to realise, because obviously I had no clue about that. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember visiting, and it was just... Because obviously I, I kind of blocked all my memories yeah. out, and then writing this book, more and more came back, and then to find out like other people know more, and I didn't even know that it kind of really mm. got me teary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus, I don't remember you writing. Were you? Did your auntie come up in your first book? No, no. 
No, I didn't really mention my auntie. Okay. Uh, apart from, I think it was actually for book, um, the first chapter I did uh, when we went for Chris- um, to um, see my real dad. Oh, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, that was about it. Are you in touch with your real dad now? Uh, no. No, okay. No. Did people, so there's obviously some people in the book, but, and so when you were writing the book or before the book came out, say like your current friendship groups and people that you're around, how much of your history were they aware of? Or was this like a Ooh. learning curve for them as well? Um, only about two people of my friendship group actually knew about it. Um, I hadn't actually told anyone um, regarding, obviously, for me, it was very embarrass- uh, embarrassment and I didn't want anyone to know, obviously, the thought of people thinking, obviously, I hid in the toilets and stuff like that. It was mm-hmm. the most horrible like feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But obviously, that's why I was so worried about writing the book. Um, but obviously, when I went around my um, friendship group and said, oh, I'm writing a book, they all thought I was writing a children's book. <laughs> And, they were, and they, it kind of came out and they were like, what the hell? How have they been? Like, have you? Because I think that's something that a lot of people that have been through, whether it's sexual abuse or any other trauma, that feeling of people, then their circle known. It's enough that you've got a book, so everyone knows. But your close circle, knowing what you've been through, have they, have you noticed any differences? Has it, affected anything for you um I think um so, so obviously some some of the backed off and obviously the people you don't think didn't think that would actually support you is actually there mm-hmm. and it kind of obviously makes makes you realize actually who's actually your friend and who's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. yeah it's such a brave thing to do Jess honestly um, I, 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 I the way you wrote the book at the end of every chapter, it's like each chapter is a, a memory of abuse that, that you experience. And I think there's like 20 odd chapters in the book. And I think it was at the end of chapter 14 and you Yeesh. wrote, you wrote about, I can't believe I'm about to say this or I'm about to write this or say it out loud. And I was like, Oh wow. I wonder what it's going to be. And then you read that chapter and you're like, mm-hmm. fucking hell, not in my worst possible place in my thought could I have ever imagined that no. that's what you went through. Um, so the girl Louise, have has she, like, has the book reached her, do you think? Have you heard from her? Um, no, no. no. Um, when I was going through court, she blocked me. Oh, Jesus. Oh, but yeah. so you was in contact though at some point. Oh yeah, yeah, I had it on Facebook and oh, you know okay. we chat here and there. But yeah, she blocked me. Has she been able to move beyond her trauma? Um, I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I hope so. Yeah. Um, obviously, I hope she's got the help she wanted. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I can tell her story because mm. it wasn't her, my story to tell mm-hmm. um, yeah as much as obviously I probably should have tried to help her but someone someone pushed me to tell my story and I didn't tell my whole story and 
mm. it I regretted it um I wasn't ready and I think if I was ready I would have been able to um had a little more fight in me mm-hmm. um I was very much scared and um shoved in a room with a, a couple of A4 pieces of paper and I didn't really know like I didn't really have anyone there for me and um it, it was horrible so when you say someone asked you to share your story was this um like a publisher had got in touch with you or was this part of the court case was it yeah I mean... part of the court case yeah um uh, well I'll tell you anyway because I've already given it away <laughs> um so basically I was um in college and my partner at the time Sam um he he was um I was still in contact with my stepdad and he was giving lifts to my uh, for my stepdad because he was drunk Mm -hmm. um he took me obviously we'd driven to his house and he told me he had his obviously he got a new phone and he told me I could have his old one Mm -hmm. um so I said I'll I'll get it another day um I knew he was drunk I knew you know probably better to stay away um because it was actually at a time where he was actually acting like my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought to better stay away. And he he was like, no, I insist, you know, come down, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then my about 15 minutes later, my partner at the time wish, um, witnessed him raping me in a bush. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he um, sort of stood there and I was like, what are you doing? And then he was like, oh, we'll come in. And then sort of we were driving down the road and he was like, he slammed on his brakes and he was like, did I just see what I think I saw? And then he sort of like started um, driving to his house and I was begging him not to. And it got really like Mm. um, emotional. And he then the next day blackmailed my stepdad with £300 to... um, if, if he didn't pay him, then he would go to the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a bit of the short story down the line, he was blackmailing me to stay with him. Mm. Um, and I stayed with him. And then the next time, I can't say why I yeah. didn't want to get away from him, but because obviously that's a raw giveaway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was trying to basically split up with him and he blackmailed me. And we split up for about two weeks and then we got back together and obviously the day before we didn't we were split and we got back together he phoned he told his social worker that, that then told my social worker right. and then the police got involved. Right. Oh. Obviously that how obviously him blackmailing did help my case. Yeah. Um the fact that he paid it, I think it was like two hours later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Oh just I think I'm blabbering. No, no I'm not just, at all. It's just oh, the but, way you tell your story. Honestly, it's just I'm just astounded how many people fucked you over again and a fucking. Do you know what I want to? Honestly, there's so many people I want to go and slap. Mm-hmm. It's my I'm on I'm getting so angry. I get fucking bitch like Honestly, you. it's it's <laughs> just because there's so many people that should have had your back and should have looked out for you. And it was like they've taken full advantage at every turn. Mm -hmm. And I think it's sort of when I think, because I think one of the things that really comes across and really, I suppose, is confusing in a way, but equally really understandable, is the relationship that you had with Sean, so with your stepdad, in the fact that he was 
raping you, but at the same time, he was your father figure and was actually doing dad things mm-hmm. at a separate time, which is so confusing. Mm-hmm. That- I, th- I think when I was writing my book, um, obviously it's so hard to try and write down how it actually happened because people can't understand it when you're not in that yeah. situation. Because, um, it's, it's not when someone obviously tries raping you one night and obviously you run away and, and you try and tell people or something like that. It's, it, it slowly progresses but goes really fast because it could be from a touch to a leg. And then he will get away with it slightly mm-hmm. and then he'll, he'll touch your shoulder and then he'll go down your back and then pretend that he was giving you a back rub. Mm-hmm. And then it will get a bit more. And then when he knows he's pushed the line a little bit, He'll buy you a gift. Mm-hmm. Or my mum used to um, lash out um, and be drunk and hit, because she had made the night go from bad to worse, mm-hmm. um, you kind of not forgot, but he kind of got away with what he mm-hmm. did and he knew it. Um, and I think to write write down exactly how that was, it was, it was really difficult to get it where it didn't sound like... Because he had bought me a gift, he got away with it. Because that wasn't I, how it happened. No, I honestly think no, that comes. Ac- I think you've you've got that across really, Absolutely. really well in how totally. manipulative it mm-hmm. was and how. Yeah, I, I I really do think you've got that yeah. across really, really well. I think it that that does read for me that read of just head fuck. Yeah, absolutely. And there's not yeah. a doubt in my mind for a second that there was that there wasn't such emotional manipulation there. That you know, it's, it's such a shame that you feel that you have to justify that as well. Um, a bit of not, I think the hardest one was to describe was the Headland Hotel, um, because obviously you went from being a dad mm-hmm. to then being really forceful, mm-hmm. um, and to try and make like write it to how it from one moment it was all playful and throwing water to what he was doing to me. Yeah, it was really hard to to write. But that couple yeah. that walked past you, that tutted and and looked yeah. in your direction, what you referenced it two or three times in that in that particular chapter, and nobody came, not a manager. So, but the thing is, I think with well, that, I, I wasn't expecting a big like someone coming through the door. I thought something dramatic was going to happen, but no. I think that we have such a for one a kind of prudish society and also that no one ever wants to intervene and we also have a real I feel like especially here that kind of judgment on women and I can imagine that they looked and instead of thinking father daughter they're looking and judging you as opposed to judging mm-hmm. him I think that people do that mm-hmm. which is so and I feel that that's it's so disturbing I think it says a lot more about our society than it does mm-hmm. say you as a person Jess that no one looked at you and thought that's a child Mm -hmm. and that's a grown man regardless of anything else I should be intervening and should be saying something or it's just saying are you okay love yeah but it's I think a simple you okay does make all the difference because even when you're an adult you know you have loads of crises and just the you okay actually you know makes someone actually feel a little bit better because it's a hard thing to escape isn't it when someone says are you okay that like that is the that's the phrase that gets me. I, I struggle to lie to are you okay? Mm. There's there's certain things that I'll say that I'm definitely okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm great. Or yeah, yeah fine. Mm. Like that's a I'm not okay, but I don't want to say I'm not okay. It's a hard yeah. one to escape. Um 
But what I remember on, reading from that particular chapter was the flashback that you had of mm. the the curved the curved like jacuzzi part, and that you remembered being there before, and mm. and that it wasn't like a you your memory was of that it was a fun time, and then later on in that experience with Sean in that water, you remembered no, that wasn't a fun time with my little brother, that was Sean abusing me mm. yet again. Wow. It's amazing how our brains do repress memory, like coping. Black it out, like, yeah. yeah. And I think it's that I imagine as well for you, Jess, where so much has happened, you've you've had to for that kind of survival. And I think one of the parts that, or oh, there's so much, but around kind of suicide attempts as well. And I think that it's, you even write about that. I think the way that you have written that, I think is so kind of relatable and understand, mm-hmm. people will really relate to that of... Just... I think when I was trying to kill myself, I think um, I think I just couldn't see a way out, and I think everything that was happening it was just getting worse yeah. and worse mm-hmm. and worse. And um, so I've got. What to say. <laughs> you know, fact, do you know um, what? As as well, that was it. Um, obviously, when I was killing myself or trying to kill myself, and I couldn't, it was almost like I couldn't even get that mm-hmm. one, and that's things that go in your head and you're like you know why are you here (laughs) do you know what I mean um and you obviously get dark thoughts and everything but I think what you don't realize obviously when you're going through things do change and Mm. they can change from like one situation to another um yeah I think that's obviously what some people might ha- obviously might help knowing the fact that actually it might be bad now, but actually, in a, you know, from a year to a week or something, your life can change. Yeah, I think you've shown. I think you've shown that, and I think for everything that you've been through, Jess, and to still be able to sort of go, yeah, but it's life can change. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's fucking brilliant because it's it's you've you can do one of the worst imaginable things. Yeah, to and it's not just like a one-time event but for your entire childhood and your young adult years and into your young adult life as well. It's there. It's in your mind. It's in your dreams. It's, do you still have nightmares? Yeah. Yeah. The, the nightmares, will, I know they will never go. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously the thoughts will never go and that kind of stays with you. Yeah. Um, I know obviously, you know, you were sitting there going fucking hell, but like for me, that was normal. Yeah. Um, so Back then, it was just that was life. So I, I, I don't see myself as a victim. I don't mm. see myself as poor me. I see myself as actually. Now I know it's it's what I've been through is bad. Mm-hmm. How can I use mm-hmm. that to my advantage to help someone? Mm-hmm. So, it, obviously, me doing what I'm doing now, I'm helping other children. Yeah. Obviously, I've, well, I've got thousands and thousands of messages of people come, coming out and telling me what they're going through and obviously you know I'm trying to support them as much as I can mm. um but if I didn't do the book I, my, my story would have just been for nothing and I know that you've got and I haven't uh, I have been at work and I have actually done work um for if my boss is listening um I do do work <laughs> sometimes um, but I know that you've also you're, you've set up a charity haven't you yeah. yeah. Um, so, can you tell us more about that? Um, well, the charity is not actually officially running um, running at the moment. Um, it was meant to be waiting for the certificate yeah. to be registered, um, but it was classed as a CIO. Right. Okay. Um, but it needed because 
basically the difference between two charities is one you needed five thousand to um, register the charity, mm-hmm. um, but then you also needed a bank account, which you couldn't get a bank account to register it, so it got really complicated. Oh and my accountant was sitting there banging her head. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we managed to get the right format for it now. So we're just literally waiting to hear back. Um, it's called Your Voice UK. And it will be, well, we will be opening, setting up um, events. We've got investors involved. We'll be setting up GoFundMe pages to open a cent- and well, quite a few centres around the UK. Okay. Um, we've also got um, uh, a building that's actually been put to Your Voice UK for when it opens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a uh, old um, private school. Mm-hmm. Um, that was based uh, being um, changed into flats, and now that's going to be for that. Um, and these centres will be for children to come mm-hmm. to before they go into care or w- whatever their situation is, because obviously every, every situation is different. Mm. And they will get on-site therapy, counselling, um, animal therapy. Um, there'll be so much on, on-site that it will offer um, and they can also meet their foster carers before um, they go to their foster carers, so they can actually have not, like an inkling where they're going. That's amazing! Oh my goodness! Yes. I need to come and see this help. when it's yeah. when it's when Let's it's up and that. running. I'm def- definitely. Yes. I would love to meet you in person anyway, and just I just want to cuddle you. <laughs> I just, I just, it's oh. oh. That's I think that's amazing oh. for everything you've been through, and now that's it. You've, like you said, you've come out the other or coming out the other side, yeah, because it's a continuum. She's but... white or crap. Oh thank God! <laughs> but no, it is. That's amazing. That the amount of I just think the amount of people, like you said, to have those thousands of messages. I get that because I can imagine how many people at that it's not your story as much as it's brutal and as much as it's heart wrenching you're not the only person that's gone yeah. through that uh, there's going to be so many people yeah. that have been caught up in this year i think that's what actually helped me is because my mum used to say um to me don't go sobbing about your life because there's always someone worse yeah. off and it's true um obviously you know people telling me their stories is really really horrendous and i just sometimes i think i'm lucky not to go through that but then obviously I'm, I'm pleased at what I went through to see if I can help yeah. them. Um, and I think, obviously, it, the more people we can make aware of what's actually going on, the better. Because people, like some people say, obviously, um, I don't, you know, I don't know anyone who's gone through that or mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it's they don't act until their child or someone they know who's been mm-hmm. abused. And if we can actually prevent, if we can make people aware um maybe we can actually prevent it from them acting like before rather than Mm -hmm. after yeah and I hope that we can like through you and I will support you with absolutely anything but to change like I am all for education um but so changing like making sure police are trained in how to question making sure social services are trained in how to support like actually changing policies around Mm -hmm this kind of thing because I think that's that needs doing so that we're not constantly reacting we need to start being more proactive with these things weirdly I think it actually all comes down to um, schools Mm -hmm. um, because we all go to school 
um, and paedophiles, unfortunately, go to mm-hmm. school. Now, if they were brought up to know that actually a different way of actually knowing that that is not, you know, right, and if we could actually bring it up to not scare children, mm-hmm. but make them yeah. aware, it might actually stop maybe a 1%, maybe 2%, yeah. but it might actually stop people mm-hmm. doing what they're doing. Or helping. That is a um, really strong I'm sentence, talking. isn't it? Pedophiles go to school. Mm. They do. Because everybody's gone to school at some point and mm. whether it happens 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years down later in life, it's mm. Jesus. Um, one of the questions that I really wanted to ask you, Jess, was what is the best question to ask somebody who isn't ready to share, hasn't hasn't told anybody yet but what's the best question to ask somebody who you think might be being abused to help them open up weirdly down to uh, what we talked about earlier is are you okay because no one asks that they all talk about your uh, each other's problems their own problems or they talk about what they want to talk about like schools or you know if they don't physically say are you okay and then that that instantly puts someone in a situation where they're like, shit, that person actually just asked yeah. me mm-hmm. if I'm okay, but I'm not okay. They're not asking me, have I been abused? They're not asking me or digging for questions. They're being yeah. caring. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a very big thing mm-hmm. for someone. That empathy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, at what point do you think, because you mentioned like, keeping the secret because at some point at at one point as you got older you knew that it was a secret that you were keeping so if somebody had asked you say when you were 14 years old are you okay how do you think you might have responded to that I think I would have cried Mm -hmm. um when I was in the meeting room with the police they spoke about a safe place we'll take you somewhere safe now I'm sitting there and I'm like ready to blurt out everything I was about yeah. to tell them. And then they say that and then I'm instantly thinking, well, is that a prison? Yeah. Is it a prison school? Like, what, what is the case? Where are you going to take me? Because that's what you see as a child of mm-hmm. the police. You see them arresting people. You see them as doing their duty, obviously. Mm. But you don't see them actually putting children in a safe mm-hmm. place. I think if that was more aware that that's what the police do obviously put them in foster care or you know make them where they are safe which they they do um um but obviously like but for children yeah. they don't see mm-hmm. that yeah so it's uh, yeah um, and that comes down to schools again mm-hmm. um i've been talked to my school at the moment of putting um obviously a non-uniform day for the charity and um, raising obviously sponsorships and stuff like that but um, we're also looking at um, getting survivors to go into the schools and do Mm -hmm. talks Um, and they're really interested in getting that on board Um, um, and it's one in three um, of children that's actually going for abuse. Jesus Christ that's Um, so fucking high, a third a third um, of the child population there's, I think it's uh, four in every 30 that's um, going through foster care, child abuse, um, being beaten at home. My God. You know, mm. I was saying to Tanya yesterday, um, I'd, 
I was working with a young person yesterday morning and as I was going through the risk assessment and ticking the boxes of whether they were at risk of, you know, from other people, uh, were they at risk to themselves? Were they at risk to other people? Like there was a whole, there's whole boxes that we've got to go through. And I think, you know, we're maybe fortunate enough that we've got that exposure to those young people, but how many missed opportunities there were for adults, trusted adults in your experience that didn't get to ask you those questions. So, yeah, I think I think you're going to drive some massive reform, Jess. Mm. Um, I'm very excited for you. Very, very, very excited for you. Um, how does it like how does it feel about writing book two? Is it easier or harder than book one? Um. Well, I was gearing myself up for it because um, obviously with the charity and the book, it's all been really mm-hmm. hectic. Um, so obviously finding the time to do that at the moment, it's been mm-hmm. quite hard. But um, obviously, I think it's going to be easier. Um, well, it's a bit easier than book one, obviously, because it's talking more about, obviously, the recovery rather than actually going into detail um I was writing book one and I just wrote it how it happened and then a part of me was like I can't tell the world this like like people I know is going to read this Mm -hmm. um that petrified me but it wasn't Mm sugar-coated for me um and when people say it's a hard read it is a hard read because that's Mm -hmm. how it happened and when you're going through abuse no one tells you you know, you're being abused. No one sugar goes to sit mm-hmm. for you. So I was sort of thinking, actually, why should I? For mm-hmm. readers, they should know exactly what mm-hmm. happens. Um, the taboo subject needs to stop actually talking. And actually, if we all talk more as a community, maybe actually we might actually be able to help a lot more children because, unfortunately, children are our future. And if we can't help mm-hmm. them, then, you know, it's not really yeah. so much for our community. You can't um, sugarcoat it because like you said it's not it's not an area that should be sugarcoated. It needs to if we don't know the brutal truth of certain issues, then we can push it under the table as if oh it's only something little. But it's and it's never something little. Yeah. And I think that's what people need to realise that yours is a is massive. But even if it was just once, it doesn't matter. Mm. It shouldn't happen. It's not. It's only protecting the paedophiles if you don't talk about it. It's only giving them a wider, a wider playing field because, well, no one's really looking. And that it. I found that really not interesting. But I suppose it's something that we know. We're all aware of the dark web. Like everyone hears it. It's something that we talk about. But to know how prolific and how big that that mm. is, and how much is being shared on that, and how much that then affected your life and how many other lives are being affected by mm-hmm. that is absolutely frightening and there needs to be more done to kind of support that mm-hmm. definitely yeah I, I can do more and hopefully we can try and sort something for kids because obviously there are a lot of charities that do help mm-hmm. and I'm not, yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah. knocking them whatsoever but the problem is with that at the moment is Children don't know where... I didn't even know that, that how many charities yeah. there was until I started Googling it and researching it. So for a child who needs the help and they don't know where to go, they don't have a computer, they don't have a phone, or um, obviously there needs to be more out there for them to realise that actually yeah. there is help because 
putting a poster up in school, there's loads of posters in schools saying we're here mm. to help. But what is that charity here mm. to help for? Is it here to help raise money? Is it here to help um, homeless people? Or it, you don't realise actually what what mm. it's there for. So if a child doesn't understand, how is it meant to mm. get the help? It what needs? do you? Sorry, no. <laughs> the how how I suppose how do you help? And I know that's a, such a broad question because like you said, every case is different and every child will child adult whoever will handle it differently but if we're thinking like i know if you like i watch a lot of reality tv or crap tv or soaps and they're always covering storylines do you think that that does help because it is just raising the awareness of an issue or like, what else can we be doing um i, I think there's a number of things we can do um but weirdly it's the little things that make most of like the difference like you don't realize actually how many pedophiles that's actually living around you until you download that there's an app for that is there yeah Yeah, that's the thing no one knows but there's actually an actual app to tell you whether your neighbor's been how bad is it that i'm already going to don't want to know but the fact that i don't (laughs) want to know is fucking ridiculous what's the name of it jess um, I don't actually know. You don't know. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but the fact that we don't know, I don't even know my neighbour's name. Mm. And to me, that's actually quite bad because if we don't know who's around us, how are we actually meant to help uh-huh. these children if we can't communicate? Mm. That's a really good point. You know, when you were saying there about <clears throat> having posters up around the school and we're there to talk, <clears throat> we're there to help and blah, blah, blah. Um, for a young person who needs that help and they're feeling overwhelmed and they they almost want that help to come to them it's 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 almost like you need like an emergency number like 999 that is widely known so young people if they're and if they're suffering abuse that there's a a number it's an emergency number like the samaritans Mm. (gasps) oh esther esther ranson no well one of the good ones shout is a great tech service Mm -hmm. that um that we recommend that a lot at work and it is I think it's 85258. I will look and we'll put it in the show notes. But Shout is a great app for young people. But again, you have to have a phone. But you can text them and they will text you back and they will seek support. And sometimes it might just be about talking to someone, if not even talking about the issue necessarily, but mm-hmm. reaching out. Um, and I think things like that are brilliant. But again, it is if you haven't got a phone or you haven't got credit or, yeah, it's this, this, there's limits, I feel like, to, there's um, one thing, actually, I'm really actually pleased. Um, the schools have actually, um, I don't know if it's all schools, but I know my old school does it. Um, they've got an app online where uh, kids um, sign into their online Moodle, mm. as you like, um, and they can actually talk to the teachers okay. that way if they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually quite good because um, obviously I didn't have that when I was in school. And I think that's actually really good mm-hmm. for the students. Yeah, I was in a school yesterday actually, and they've got uh, they've got posters up all over the school. You can't go anywhere without seeing them, and it's just to text about bullying that's relevant to that school. It's a, it's a it's an in house um, facility, and you just you text the number you you know, and you just tell what's happening, and mm. it gets reported that way, which is nice because I think, I mean, not only just in today's culture do we tend to like to steer away from the face to face interaction off 
is the, the shame that's associated to it as well having to say it out loud to another person mm. is let alone another adult if you're a young person but to be able to just be really brave and not have to wait for that braveness to come up again you can just pick up your phone and just send the text you can go on the website like it's it's quick yeah I feel like there's there's got to be more education though on and something that we always say when we're talking about self-harm and suicide is our reaction and that's the thing that comes back from young people all the time is how we how people react when you tell them something the judgment that they're going to have and if we aren't teaching people from very very young and norm not normalizing it but educating them around that this shit is happening Mm -hmm. educating them and being kind like we're all fucking saying be kind and then no one's fucking kind but it's you need to give people the power to go do you know what if I do make a disclosure to you it's going to be dealt with correctly you're not going to judge me because Mm -hmm. none of this is my fucking fault yeah so then if if you're fearing that I'm going to be judged for telling you, I'm not going to fucking tell you. Yeah. That it's... Oh, it's a difficult one to say. It's a fucking shit show. Yeah, it is a shit Winds show. Winds me up. But look, but... one more question that I've got. You keep you keep coming up with other questions Sorry. that I'm like, oh, it's a much better question than mine. Is, are there any telltale signs, Jess? Do you... Is it something that you think... Your character changed, your behaviour changed, the way you dress changed... What do you mean? Like so when you were was? at the beginning of your abuse, when you when when it started to when it started to get bad and it started to affect your behaviour, were there any telltale signs? Like as a parent or as an adult, it, you know, Tanya and I both work in mental health, and we well, I I'm a school practitioner. I go into schools and I see young people on a daily basis. Is there anything I should be looking out for? Um. I think that it started when, obviously, with clothes, mm-hmm. actually, because, obviously, I used to dress normal and as a kid does, and I suddenly um, started wearing big coats. Um, I started trying try to mm-hmm. hide my boobs. Or I started to try and dress down rather mm-hmm. than actually dress up um, because, obviously, when you feel shit, you mm-hmm. kind of try and... You don't try or you don't look after yourself as much as... Mm-hmm. you could or you do um that sort of goes um i think it's it's more like body language um i think obviously when a person you can tell when a, a bloke is obviously too cuddly mm-hmm. with a child um like with my brother he wasn't affectionate he wasn't if if my if he bought me a bike for instance he wouldn't buy my brother a bike and my mum had yeah. to match that and she obviously couldn't afford that so that was must have been a massive sign to say you know you, you, your daughter's getting so many gifts and you're not your son's mm-hmm. not what, what's the story there why is he giving why is he giving my daughter back rubs why mm. is he spending all his time with her why is he taking there's photos so much around your mum that and because of the second book and when it's I, I don't want to I, I want to get into it, but equally, I think we could sit here all day. But of, okay, well, I've got her... one question on mum. Go on. Did you ever find out what your mum's trauma was, what she went through in her childhood? Um, I, I know that she um, was adopted, and I know that they used to chain okay. her to the bed. Um, and I know she used to wet a lot, and when she mm-hmm. used to pee her bed because of that, because I think she she went to bed at five Jesus. every night and never allowed toilet or nothing. 
she weed herself and they i think they beat her with you know those uh fire fork oh, things fuck her. um oh, they used um she she did a similar thing to me what she her parents did yes, um really she once didn't eat her dinner or mm-hmm. something like that and they put her in front of the they had big windows she was telling me and they put her naked in front of the windows for all her friends who was mm-hmm. playing outside to see and one of the chapters in my book mm. mentions when she obviously was drunk and she um, puts me against yeah. the window mm. for all my friends to see. Um, and that sort of was big, sort of made me think that obviously when I was writing the book, how yeah. similar that story was. Do you still talk to your mum? Um, no. Um, she texted me um, about mm. two weeks ago. Um, nothing. Obviously, I haven't heard from her for a long, long time. And there was no, hi, how are you? There was no, are you okay? Or I'm sorry that I haven't spoke mm. to you or nothing. Or I'm sorry, the past or nothing. There was, um, I've got something important to tell you <coughs> and it's about me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And um, she was basically telling me that she's got a heart problem and she's dying. Mm-hmm. And then she started telling me that she knows where I live and she has photos of my son. And if I cared about my son, I'd get him tested. Mm-hmm. Um, she was quite nasty, mm-hmm. to be fair. And then it turns out that she texted my sister telling her that she, um, she it was her, her carer who was texting my sister at mm-hmm. one o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning. So... Yeah, you could tell there's loads of noise mm-hmm. into that. But, but didn't your mum at one point also say she had cancer when you were younger mm. and that was something that you got? Yeah, yeah. I got bullied for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was horrible because in my mind it was yeah. like I was lying. And then she goes behind my back to tell my friend that I was lying. <laughs> and then my friend obviously reacted to that and obviously I was yeah. blunt for that. Yeah. My no, it's... it's... Yeah. <laughs> The problem is with lies that people people think, oh, lies, you know, it's just a little lie they'll never find out, but it actually yeah. has consequences. Yeah, and I think, yeah, you've you've been on the end of a lot of those consequences, haven't you? Yes. The, mm-hmm. it, yeah. oh, just, you're just great, Jess. <laughs> just, just phenomenal. You're yeah. such a, you're a fucking powerhouse of a woman, honestly. Yeah. To turn um, that shit into something that's going to, like you said, mm-hmm. support a shitload of people, that and it's something that you're still working through, as you said, because and you probably always will, but you're gonna help so many people. It's fucking that's just fucking admirable. I'm mm-hmm. gonna stop swearing. <laughs> I said fucking about twenty times. Oh, you did it another time as well. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, I uh, yeah. I'm. I mean, I've said it already. I'm super excited for you, Jess. I think you have so many wonderful things ahead of you and uh, we will do whatever we can to support you we'll try and raise money for you we'll give you a promotion we'll read your book we'll share your book yeah we definitely need a chat when book two comes out because i've got still got questions but i'm not i'm, I'm waiting so hopefully book two will answer them and if not then you're getting on here and i'm gonna grill you again <laughs> is there any like national media coverage that's picked up your story like I can see this being like a Netflix drama at some oh, point yeah. in the future. Um, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, I think it should be made into a series, mm. really, because obviously a lot of people will watch films yeah. rather than yeah. read. And I think actually it could be beneficial to mm. teenagers and 
to loads of loads of people need the help and obviously that's what what this is all this book is about is trying to help as many people. I could definitely, like I said, see it as a series. I think it would be one of those that we'd be absolutely, the nation would be gripped to. Even Um, just reading the book felt like I was watching a series because the way you ended every chapter was like, (gasps) well, I can't fucking put it down because I honestly read the book in a day. I started it, I downloaded it in the morning and um, I read it before I got the kids ready for school. I thought, fuck's sake, it's quarter past eight. I've got to go to work in 15 minutes, let alone getting the kids out the door to school. And then when I came home and after dinner, I sat and read it until like one o'clock in the morning. I clearly don't read very fast. But because that was a lot of hours I clocked up. But it was an absolutely outstanding read. And yeah, Yeah. despite the horror of the story, it was a real fucking page turner. So you've done a very, 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 very good job, Jess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, the support I've had is so overwhelming, oh. overwhelming, and like I've had people like I've read it in like four minutes, four hours. I've read it in like six hours, and I've read it twelve <laughs> hours, and I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> oh no, it's great. I think on on our parting note, what do you do on a like? How do you protect yourself? How is what do you do to look after your your well being? Because we were mm. texting last night, weren't we? And you were telling me that you get like 20 to 30 or 30 to 40 messages a week from young people who are experiencing sexual abuse I mean that is a hell of a lot to take on board Mm. for one person who is not through your own trauma you're still working through it so there could be a lot of triggers in there for you um there are a lot of well there's quite a few days where I've had to Mm -hmm. take a step back because obviously my mental health and I just physically can't sometimes do it um because it's a lot to try and put your opinion to someone but you don't want to give them the wrong opinion Um, and sometimes you don't feel like actually it does need to actually be sent to the police or someone higher than me because obviously I I want to give them the help but I don't Mm -hmm. know exactly how Um, I've got currently a 14 year old talking to me um, and she is telling me that she keeps trying to kill herself um, and she was put into the hospital and mm-hmm. then sent back home. Um, the police are not helping her, the social yeah. services are not helping her apparently. And trying to obviously talk to her on a level where she feels mm-hmm. that she can open up to me and I'm trying to help her. Obviously I don't want to give her the wrong advice, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, so for me, it, it does, obviously, this is why the charity is so important mm-hmm. and why the book's important because... Obviously, I didn't realise how much, how many people, obviously, you think like, you know, you or a couple other people, but it's mm-hmm. so much bigger than that. And that's why I've, I'm trying to do this charity because I want to try and help mm-hmm. as many kids as I can. And it breaks my heart to know that these kids are going through what I am going through. And I remember the, mm-hmm. the pain and feeling mm-hmm. so alone that, you're so alone in the world and you feel so small in the world and it's it's a horrible feeling and weirdly actually I watched a Carnation Street clip the other day and that's got where a little girl um called Kelly um she um she's been out in in and out of foster care she got accused for murder and she's been tossed out into a street and she feels so alone Mm -hmm. and I cried I actually cried Mm -hmm. because I could relate to that being obviously so alone yeah 
Yeah, but we're we're lucky that we've got you, Jess, and that there's lots of people that are reaching out to you. And I just, I really just look after yourself. Like it is, it's a lot of pressure on you now from mm-hmm. telling your story. You have opened yourself up to be someone that people can confide in. But yeah, just I know you are. But yeah, just keep looking after yourself as well because mm-hmm. we need you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I do feel, I, honestly, I do feel drained at the minute. I'm, I'm not, like, I, don't, I don't tend to cry, but um, no, but it is, I do, honestly, I do feel absolutely, I feel really, um, oh, I haven't got the words anymore. Emotional, very raw as a result of it. Like it's, yeah. it's very real. And I, I think that the way your book reads, it reads like a fictional story. So it's, and like you, when you were saying that, you know, you had to constantly remind yourself, this actually happened, this, these are the memories of one person. Mm. These, this happened to one person. This happens to a lot of people. And that is a really, that's a true story. And that is, um, it fucks with your head. Mm. It really does. And I think you've told such an important or given insight to a really such a prevalent part of our society that we do tend to oh that's a bit too dark we're not going to share that with our children we'll not we'll not tell them Mm. about the dangers of the nasty people out there Mm. because it's not it wasn't just the men necessarily it was the women the the mothers of involved of these young people as well who Mm. were turning a blind eye yeah a lot of fuckers out there but thank you jess for yeah telling your story she was talking to us and telling your story and yeah I know that everyone that's listening is going to be touched and everyone needs to go and buy the fucking book and subscribe to check in on the charity and on your page and wait for the second book and it's available on Amazon WH Smith and Waterstones nice love Jess Um, it's £9.99 um, and it's currently 99p on Kindle. Amazing. Yeah. Well, we will hear the shit out of that. <laughs> <laughs> we fucking will. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us, Jess. Honestly, you have brought to light such an important uh, story. And you say story, it makes it sound like it's made up. It's it's You're telling your story, what's happened to you. And um, we were really, really grateful. So... Thanks. We'll be speaking to you again as well. Well, thank you for talking to me. It's been amazing. Right.